0: You're listening to The Encounter Podcast, featuring my latest messages and teachings. Don't forget to subscribe. The Encounter Podcast, encounter the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Is it wrong to ask God for signs? Does believing for a miracle make you a shallow or immature Christian? Some say it does. But what does the Bible actually teach? So I want to begin this message by talking to you about the role of experience. Now, we understand that God is alive and well. And because God is alive and well, He's interacting with His children. And when God interacts with His children, His children experience divine encounters. There is nothing wrong with the believer having divine experiences. Experience results from understanding revelation. Experience results from worship. Experience results from obedient living. The Holy Spirit will guide you into heavenly experiences. But while experience has a place, it is not a priority. Experience has a place, but it's not a priority. There are two extremes to these viewpoints. On one side, you have those who say, the word of God is all you'll ever need, and that's true, but their conclusion is wrong, and they'll say, and therefore, any experiences you have with God are totally unnecessary. And then there are those who don't have the foundation of the word, and they rely totally upon experience. But think about the fact that in knowing the word of God, in understanding the truths of the revelations that are revealed, I'm positioned for experience. One time somebody asked me, when talking about miracles, signs, wonders, experiences in the presence of the Holy Spirit, they ask me, is the Word of God not sufficient? Does the Word of God not accomplish what it needs to accomplish? And I would argue that it's because the Word of God is sufficient that I have experiences with God. Because the Word of God puts me in connection with God. The Word of God is the foundation upon which I build my relationship with God. And in relating with God, I'm bound to have experiences with God. So there are those who will condemn others for wanting an experience or a sign from God. And that's a religious way of thinking. It's a dead, dry, powerless way of thinking. And it's not biblical at all. But just because you appreciate a holy experience, just because you appreciate encounters with God, doesn't mean that that's your focus. People have criticized me before saying, well, you teach miracles and that's all you teach. And because you talk about miracles, that shows that your focus is miracles. Well, no, my focus is Jesus. My focus is the preaching of the gospel, telling people they need to repent of their sins and turn toward Christ and be saved and believe on the Lord Jesus. But miracles accompany that message. So just because you appreciate miracles Just because you appreciate encounters and experiences, just because you appreciate signs from God, does not mean that signs, encounters, experiences are your sole focus. Some believers will scold you, stop seeking signs, we shouldn't focus on signs or experiences. And while it's true that signs should not become our priority, this does not mean that signs don't have a place. It's not sinful or wrong, or shallow, or materialistic, or doubtful, or unspiritual, or immature to ask God for signs. I'm going to show you from the scripture that in fact it is biblical to ask the Lord for signs, wonders, and miracles. 1 Corinthians 2.4, let's start there. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So, Our preaching is accompanied by demonstration. Our relationship with God is accompanied by experiences. How can you come to know God and not have an encounter with God? How can you walk in a relationship with God and not experience that divine connection? So there are three simple rules, biblically-based rules, that I wanna give you for experiences. And here's how you can filter your experiences through a biblical lens. Number one, Experience is valid when it's consistent with God's Word. Yes, experience has a place, and especially if experience aligns with God's Word, it can be a healthy benefit to your spiritual growth. So not all experiences are bad or distractions from the Word of God. In fact, if they're in harmony with the Word of God, those experiences can be healthy for your spiritual growth. So that's number one, experience is valid, and key point here, when it's consistent with God's Word. Number two, interpret your experience through God's Word, not God's Word through your experience. If what my experience tells me contradicts the Word or nature of God, then I'm either misreading my experience or the experience is suspect. There are some believers who will base everything on a dream they have. They'll base everything about their lives on a prophetic word that they were given. They'll base all of their theology about uh, based upon some emotional response they had in one instance, and they build everything they are, everything they have. All of their focus comes down upon experience, and that's dangerous. We must learn to interpret our experiences through God's word rather than God's word through our experiences. And if my experience is telling me something, or I believe something as a result of my experience that contradicts the word of God, then either I'm misreading my experience or my experience itself is suspect. Number three, experience is a result of seeking God, but not the purpose of seeking God. We don't seek God to have an experience. We seek him to have him. And when we have him, experiences will often result Some are all flustered and stressed because they don't feel God, but the point is not to feel God. The point is to be in right relationship with God, and in walking with God, yes, you will sometimes have experiences. Now didn't Jesus say that a wicked generation asks for a sign, and doesn't the scripture prove that signs, wonders, miracles, and all of those things are anti-biblical or anti-Christ or against God's nature or will? By no means. Jesus did, in very specific instances, condemn those who asked for signs. We'll look at one of them here. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38-40 through say this. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, here, the Pharisees weren't sincere seekers coming to Jesus for answers. They were trying to trap and challenge Him. This was a very different approach than would a believer approach Jesus. Matthew 16one through 4 here's another instance. One day, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. So there's a difference between demanding a sign from God and asking for a sign for His guidance. The Pharisees were coming from a place of cynicism, not genuine seeking. It's different to say, prove your authority, by showing us a sign than it is to say, I believe in your authority and I'm asking for a sign to help guide me. Also think about this. Even after Jesus said a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, he still promised them a sign, the sign of Jonah, namely his resurrection. So even those who demanded a sign were given a sign, even though he said you're asking out of a wicked place. It was their heart that Jesus was rebuking. This cynical, skeptical, skeptical, stubborn heart they were coming to him demanding the sign to challenge him not because they believed who he said he was not because they were sincerely seeking him they did it simply as a challenge now in fact in another instance jesus did give a sign to the unbelieving pharisees we see that in mark chapter 2 verse 10 he says so i will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, take up your bed and walk. So Jesus heals the man when the Pharisees were saying, well, he said your sins are forgiven, but only God can forgive sins. They thought that in their minds. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said, I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you a sign that I have the power to forgive sins. And then he healed the paralyzed man. So even the Pharisees, as stubborn as they were, as cynical as they were, as skeptical as they were, Even the Pharisees received a sign from Jesus. He wasn't opposed to giving them one. So again, this idea that a wicked and adulterous generation wants a sign, that idea is biblically true in these specific instances. But this does not mean that anyone who believes in miracles, that anyone who prays for miracles, that anyone who asks God for signs, anyone who believes in the spiritual gifts, it doesn't mean that they're wicked and adulterous for asking for those signs. Jesus specifically rebuked those Pharisees in those specific instances because they were coming from the place of cynicism, not sincere seeking. In fact, signs are from God. If signs were evil unto themselves, they wouldn't be a manifestation of gospel preaching and saving faith. Take, for example, Mark chapter 16. I'm gonna read verses 15 through 20. And he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked with them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So God is not opposed to performing miraculous signs we see this as a part of the great commission god backs gospel preaching god backs saving faith with miraculous signs to confirm the message hezekiah asked for a sign from the lord to give him assurance that he would be healed you'll see that in second kings chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 the lord obliged hezekiah he didn't say no i'm not going to give you a sign just believe that i'm going to heal you in fact he gave him a sign that he would be healed Gideon reverently asked the Lord for two signs and the Lord obliged. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't destroy him. He didn't strike him dead. He didn't call him rebellious or wicked or perverted or evil or stubborn. He gave him what he asked for. Look at Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 33 through 40. Soon afterwards, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight, If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. So here God is responding to Gideon's cry for signs, and he doesn't rebuke him for it. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test, this time let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked, the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So here Gideon comes to God humbly. I need some guidance. I want to make sure, I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. And God responds with signs. Jesus told us to believe him based on his works. John 10, 37 38. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's works. But if I do His work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. There exists this misconception that God expects us to believe Him on blind faith alone. He expects from us faith, yes, but blind faith? Certainly not. Consider this. If someone today were to claim to be God, would you not be rightfully skeptical? You see, God understands that we are reasoning beings. God is the one who gave us our abilities to reason. So He doesn't expect blind faith from us, but He does expect faith from us. As He has proven Himself again and again, He has certainly given us enough reason to believe. God gives us the signs of His very existence. Through nature and the conscience, Romans 1, 19-20 says, they know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. After the death of Lazarus, Jesus told His disciples, I'm glad that you're about to see what you're about to see. I'm glad that you're about to see a resurrection. Here's what he said, John 11, 15. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. In other words, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal Lazarus. I'm glad he died so that I can raise him again. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So Jesus is saying, I'm glad you're about to see this sign of resurrection because it's going to inspire faith in you. There are several instances in scripture where signs are not just tolerated by the Lord, but highlighted by Him. John 14, 11, Just believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. John 15, 24, If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my Father. So God's willingness to give signs didn't end after the ascension of Jesus. The signs continued into the church age, Acts 1-3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God, Acts two twenty two, people of Israel. Listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well know. Acts 13, 12. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Acts 14, 3. But the apostles stayed there for a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them the power to do miraculous signs and wonders. God performed signs through Paul even. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. When I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle. For I patiently did many signs, wonders, and miracles among you. All throughout Scripture, signs play a vital role in God's interaction with man. In fact, God's interaction with man is by the very nature a divine sign. If God's interacting with us, signs must result. Read Isaiah 7, 10 through 11, Isaiah 37, 20, Isaiah 38, 7 through 8, Isaiah 41, 20, Isaiah 55, 13, Isaiah 66, 19, Hebrews 2, 4, where the scripture says, and God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit wherever he chose. Read Romans 15, 18 and 19. Read 1 Peter 1, verse 21, where the Bible says, through Christ you have come to trust in God And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Now, in 2 Peter 1.19, the Bible says something very powerful. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Think about this here. I'm gonna read it again. Pay close attention. 2 Peter 1.19, because of that experience, We have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Do you realize here that experience didn't distract from what the prophets had said or the word of God, experience strengthened their faith in the belief in what the prophets had said. Now, had their experience contradicted what the prophets had said, had their experience maybe distracted from what the prophets had said, had their experience caused confusion about what the prophets had said, it wouldn't have been a good thing. But here we see that because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. In other words, that experience strengthened their belief in the word. When your experience doesn't contradict the word, when your experience is in harmony with the word, it strengthens your belief in the word. So then experience and the word work together. The word grounds you, experience inspires you. Now, of course, the Word can also inspire you, but when you experience God's power for yourself, when you experience His presence, when you experience His work in your life, there's something that happens in you. It transforms you. Psalm 86, 17, Genesis 15, 8 and 9, Genesis 24, 14 through 15, Acts 15, 12, Matthew 11, 20, Exodus 4, 5, Exodus 7, 9, Exodus 14, 31, All of these scriptures, I'm telling you from Genesis to Revelation, there are hundreds of them that show us that God doesn't do signs reluctantly, or he doesn't look at everyone who asks for a sign as evil or wicked or cynical or skeptical. Yes, in those couple of verses, in those very specific instances, Jesus rebuked those Pharisees for wanting signs, but then he performed signs for them anyway. But God interacts with you, and there's nothing wrong with you saying, Lord. Help guide me. Or, Lord, I want an experience in your presence. Or, Lord, I need a miracle. Perfectly biblical. And don't let any religious person ever tell you otherwise because they can't prove it with Scripture. John chapter 20, we read of Thomas, who says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. What does Jesus do? He says to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands and put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. He'll meet you right where you are. He'll meet you right where you are. Don't be afraid to ask God for miracles. Don't be afraid to ask him for signs. Don't be afraid to ask him for encounters in his presence. That's perfectly biblical. So long as those experiences... So long as those signs strengthen your belief in the Word and don't contradict the Word or don't distract from the Word or don't cause confusion about what you believe concerning the Word and let them have their place without having priority. Ask them. Some things in your life you won't find chapter and verse. What job you should have, what school you should go to, what state you should live in, what house you should buy, what path you should take can't always be found in chapter and verse we need an active, living relationship with God and in an active, living relationship with God, there will always be encounters and in those encounters, there will be signs. Thank you for listening to The Encounter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. You can help keep The Encounter Podcast on the air by becoming a monthly supporter or making a one-time donation now. To give, just go to davidhernandezministries.com donate. Until next time, remember nothing is impossible with God.